Welcome to Our Global Campus, Engage the World Through Illinois podcast series, a product of the International Programs Team within the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. This podcast features the international and intercultural experiences of students and professionals who dare to explore life on the other side of their cultural assumptions. Each episode unpacks the complexities that often attend the journey of finding one's place in the world. Do I refer to you, the both of you, as Illinois students? I'm new, so don't judge me. You're Illinois students, right? Oh, Illina. Thank, thank you for that. I stand corrected. Two LAS seniors. Robert Whitmore and Isabella Marquez educate our listeners on what it means to be an African-American and a Latina in the respective regions of Africa and Latin America. Both students departed for their study abroad experiences with a desire to integrate their hybrid identities, but interactions with the locals quickly revealed that identity is as much a status as it is a conversation. Drawing parallels between the shanty towns of Tanzania and the south side of Chicago, challenging the Western values that previously constrained her notion of time, Rob and Izzy tell it all here. Well, welcome back our Global Campus podcast listeners. We have a special treat for you today. We are joined by two Illini students who have such unique and powerful stories regarding study abroad. And I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves in their own voice, sharing their own description of their study abroad experiences so that you can hear from them specifically. So Rob, why don't you go ahead and get us started and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your study abroad experience. For sure, for sure. So my name is Robert Whitmore. I'm originally from the south side of Chicago. Um, I'm currently a senior at Illinois, and my major is global studies with a focus in wealth and poverty. And brief description of the study abroad experiences I've been on. I've been on four different ones. Blessed to be on four different ones during my undergrad. First one was in 2018, where I visited Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Um, that was a part of a gender-based violence research program. The second one and the third one was both in 2019. Well, I worked as a micro-enterprise consultant. First time was in during spring break, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, the third time was in Arusha, Tanzania, which was more like informal and uh, like a rural area. Um, and the last time I studied abroad was for half the semester this spring, 2020. I was in Nairobi, Kenya. It was supposed to be for the full semester, but we all know COVID is shaking up things a little bit. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me, and I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. Very diverse experiences on the continent of Africa. Looking forward to digging into that a little bit more very shortly. Izzy, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself and your study abroad experience? 
Yeah, of course. I'm just in shock. Like that's amazing. Four times and like one undergrad experience. That's insane. I can't wait to hear about that. But so, hey everyone, my name is Izzy Marquez. I am originally from the northwest side of Chicago, but still city repping like Robert. I feel you. I am a senior as well. I'm triple majoring in English, political science, and Latino studies with double minor in Spanish and history, so very humanities driven. <laughs> and I was able to study abroad in summer of 2019, and I went to San Joaquin, Costa Rica for eight weeks. So amazing experience. Thank you, Izzy. Can you go ahead and greet our listeners in one of the native languages where you studied abroad and share the interpretation? Sure, I guess I could start. So the language that's spoken in East Africa mainly is Kiswahili. And I'm going to say, Nyinyi mi karibusana, natu mahi unafurahia. Um, and that's basically saying you all are very welcome to this podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Beautiful. And then in Costa Rica, I did a full immersion program in Spanish. So I'll say, Hola, bienvenidos. Pienso que Costa Rica es el país más feliz en todo el mundo. So hi, welcome. I believe that Costa Rica is the happiest country in the world. Wow. I would love to visit Costa Rica and experience that. I know, especially after speaking to you, Izzy, last week and hearing about your experiences and how you said that, you know, that was your understanding prior to going, but then going there and actually experiencing that joy, that happiness for yourself. I, I want to experience that too. Definitely. It really transforms your soul in so many ways. And it's embodied in so many ways throughout the country. It's in the little ways, like the bus driver and in the big ways, like, you know, my professors and my fellow students. So it was definitely um, very transformative. And especially when it came to things like happiness and joy and tranquility and all those things that I think a lot of people want to embody in their everyday lives, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So someone may come to you and say, the University of Illinois is a really great school. You have so many opportunities here, great education system. Why go abroad? Why? You, why can't you get everything that you need here within the university? I mean, Champaign-Urbana definitely is the heart of the United States. I believe that. Um, but I really wanted to enhance my global experience. And I had never really left U.S. land before. All my family lives in Puerto Rico. And so I had been there, but I never left like, you know, kind of a United States scope. So I really wanted to challenge myself. And with the tools I was given here at Illinois, I was like, I definitely think I could take this experience and enhance it and engage in a way I had not engaged before. And so I was like, I think that studying abroad would really give that to me. And so I was really, really excited. And it was something I dreamed of from my first day that I got accepted to Illinois. I was like, I know Illinois gives tools to students, resources, and challenges us. And I wanted to, you know, kind of live up to that challenge. You saw study abroad as another opportunity that was given to you by the university yes. outside of the urban a champagne area definitely definitely in a way to challenge myself even yeah beyond champagne like take if I really was like I'm a line I'm a proud line I'm gonna take that abroad and show what I've learned and do more with it and so I definitely um took that with me to Costa Rica for sure Rob what was the inspiration behind your decision to study abroad yeah so mine is kind of twofold I agree with Izzy and saying like the personal reason is I want to kind of connect back to my roots um so that's why I chose Africa specifically also like my family 
we didn't travel too much abroad when I was growing up at, at all, actually. So kind of, you know, being an initiator in my family and doing that and stretching and getting, out, getting outside of my comfort zone. But academically, my major being global studies, it's kind of it's mandatory for us to study abroad for at least one semester um, in our region of focus. So that, that's why I went to Tanzania and Kenya twice. Those are both located in East Africa. So yeah, I kind of had a drive younger, being a, the first person in my family to have the opportunity to at least study abroad. And on the academic side, it was it fit right into my major and what I was doing within school. So it just made sense to, for me to go to Africa. I really feel that too, like being the first person in your family. It really, I feel like in a way it elevates your family. Like, you know, it's a generational thing of being able to go and speak of experiences from a firsthand account that maybe your siblings or your parents or other people can't do. So I was like, I ain't doing this just for me. It's for everybody. And, you know, exactly. A family affair, you know, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. And then when you get back, like, and they see you, your family see you traveling abroad, it's kind of inspiring them as well. They're like, man, I saw you was mm-hmm. in this place and that place. And it's like, man, now, now I want to travel too, you know, so. Um, Definitely. And even like the logistical things, I think, become so much easier. Like my family were first, like my siblings and I are second generation. My parents are first in the United States. And so certain logistical process, like getting your passport, applying for this, doing that, you know, it can be hard if you have no experience with it. So I love that now I'm able to be like, no, it's easy. Do this, do that, do this. Yeah. Let me help you out. You know, I completely so agree. I think your, I think your family members come to see that it's possible. And, as, and sometimes that's, that's all someone needs to say, like, oh, wow, someone in my circle, someone in my sphere of influence has taken the initiative to go abroad and came back with a positive experience. Wow, maybe, you know, maybe that's possible for me too. For sure. <laughs> Can we speak to the, the reason behind the locations that you chose for your study abroad experience? Rob, like you had the true privilege of being in four different regions on the continent of Africa. And you said that it was intentional. You wanted to get back to, or you wanted to get in touch with your roots. Can you speak to that a little bit more? The identity that I have here, here in America is African-American, right? And we, being in America, I get a chance to express and get to know my American side, but the African side is kind of left out a lot of times. You know, a lot of, a lot of us know that we're from down South, but we don't know exactly where we're from. And even to the day, I don't know exactly where I'm from, but I do know I have an African side of my identity. So it just made sense for me to go to Africa. And it was a huge, uh, it was a huge stepping stone. Well, I'm not going to say it took a lot of risk, but I didn't have an example in my family who I was kind of basing it off of. I'm just being the first one. So yeah, just getting get in touch with my roots. And East Africa is not known for a lot of African-Americans being from East Africa, but I don't hear a lot of people saying they travel to East Africa. A lot of people travel to Nigeria or Ghana, which is in West Africa. Not too many people travel to East Africa. So I wanted to just really get out the comfort zone and really lead the way. Yeah. Challenge yourself in a different way than what you've seen exhibited in your community. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say you didn't feel like you were taking a risk because when you jumped on here and said you went four times in your undergrad experience, I was like that, maybe not risk in the way where we think, oh, we're not gonna make it, this is bad, like negative risk, but there's a positive type of risk, you know? And you were exploring a side of yourself that you didn't know anything about. They're, you know, jumping on a plane, going to a new continent, not maybe knowing anybody there. There are a lot of risks in that that maybe aren't negative per se, but still like risk. And so I'll give you credit. No, for, for sure, for sure. And I want to say the university does a great job of setting up, for my experiences, they did a great job of setting up programs, place and like making us feel comfortable as we went to these new places. Each time I went to Africa, the professors who I traveled with have been there multiple times. They made sure they, they let us know that and they made us feel comfortable in our, uh, in our travel. So shout out to the university and Dr. Neville. Izzy, can you share why you chose Costa Rica? Yeah, um, I think 
definitely similar reasons to Robert, but in the sense that I'm not Costa Rican, but I'm Puerto Rican. And so I was really interested in exploring Latin America. And to be quite frank, I was like, I don't want to. Usually a lot of people go to Spain. And I was like, I'm not really interested because of like Puerto Rico still being a colonized state and having to deal with the repercussions of that every day. I think I kind of was like, I didn't want to explore that side of it so much. As much as I wanted to explore a country that was really biodiverse, like Costa Rica is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. I also didn't know much about it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn firsthand about a place that is is not the same as Puerto Rican culture, but similar. I was like, and I'd be able to explore Latin America and also in a program that worked because I was a resident advisor. So I wasn't allowed to study abroad during the school year. So that kind of limited me a little, but Costa Rica lined up perfectly. So I was like, you know, it's in Latin America. I'll be learning a new culture, a new way of life. I'd only heard so many amazing things about it from people who had went there from all uh, walks of life. So I was like, you know, I think that this can be really a fruitful experience for me and exploring kind of like my like Latinidad, like my um, kind of you translate it to English, like Latinicity, you know, kind of like who I am as a Latina and a young woman. Because I, you know, I was 20 years old when I went and I was, I've been in the United States my entire life. And so when you're, you know, kind of like a product of diaspora, like Puerto Rico, you know, my connection to Puerto Rico is my parents. And then my connection to the United States is obviously being born and raised there. So I kind of wanted to forge new creations to Costa Rica. And so I was like, you know, kind of learning Latin America through my own way. So kind of exploring this umbrella term that I'm in. So I was like, I think this would be a really great experience. And it was. And so I think that was definitely a huge motivation as to why the specific country of Costa Rica. So similar to Rob, you had a desire to deepen your your understanding or your expression of your Latina heritage? Yes, 100%. I have a couple of questions in my mind. Let's pick one. (laughs) So my question for the both of you, what were some of your preconceived notions about the regions in Africa and Costa Rica that you had? And as you interacted with different folks and different spaces in those communities, how were those preconceived notions challenged or enhanced upon your arrival? The few main ones was like, there's going to be a lot of nature, a lot of wildlife, of course, a lot of poverty. And with that poverty, it comes to like, the frame in my mind is like, there's going to be a lot of ignorance here in this area. And of course, some of them was true as far as like the wildlife, the beautiful lush nature that's out there. But there was a great balance in all of the, all of the locations that I went, Tanzania, South Africa, and Kenya, great balance between nature and urban life which I didn't expect as much. I had to do like, if I, if I did expect it, it's because I did my own research prior to going. Um, it wasn't because what I heard in the media. There's metropolitan areas in these, in these countries. There's downtowns with tall like buildings and skyscrapers. And also it's not just all, another preconceived notion is that it's a lot of just tribalism and uh, like people are kind of ancient in their ways of living, like ancient garbs, but that wasn't the case. It was when I was on in Tanzania, I had a chance to study at the University of Dar es Salaam. Um, it's like one of the main universities in the country. And the students every day was wearing like suits and ties and they was taking the education like very serious. And it was super intelligent, like super intelligent. A lot of times in other countries, you would be surprised that these people know more about America than we even know because they look up to us so much and they take, they take just education so serious because it's, they're in such like dire situations. So I was shocked to see how urban and metropolitan these areas were in comparison to just like the nature and wildlife, it was a great balance. And then also to see how 
intelligent and serious these people took their education and like business. How has that revelation influenced the way that you now see Africa? That revelation and like getting a chance to experience it in person while also being a global global studies major and taking classes on wealth and poverty and international development. I see uh, Africa as a place of just access, like potential. There's so much potential there. It's a lot of opportunity for growth. And I, I look at a lot of countries, not just in Africa, but even in South America, I'm sure some similarities to where there is urban life over there as well. I know Izzy's going to get into it, but there's a lot of potential for growth. I look at it as places of opportunity for me to be involved in that opportunity and not just, you know, be sad and thinking that everything is all bad, but it's on a, the continent is on the up and up. The global South is on the up and up. That's a great takeaway, honestly. Give me some optimism because the media won't show that aspect. Looking at the potential and the areas for, like you said, growth and change and innovation instead of just focusing or emphasizing the problems on the region. Exactly, exactly. You hit it right on the head. Innovate, spaces for innovation, yeah. How about you, Issy? What were some preconceived notions that you had of Costa Rica and how were those notions challenged or enhanced after you arrived and interacted with the locals? Well, like when I opened today and I said that Costa Rica is the happiest country in the world and that's like their slogan, I think I misunderstood the ways in which they achieve happiness. And that was something that was really, really amazing when I got there. I guess I thought of happiness as like a, you know, ignorance is bliss type of thing where I was like, everything's just perfect and everybody's just happy and everything's just awesome. Like, I'm like, I'm going to go to this foreign country and I'm going to like, like it was very biodiverse. I'm just going to like be with the animals and eat amazing food and everybody just smiles and everything's happy. And I, obviously that's not realistic, but it was just how I, you know, like, especially with tourism and the way that the country was painted to me, I was like, oh, it's just so, everything's so happy and easy and awesome. And that's partially true in the sense that, I mean, it is an amazing place, but there are struggles everywhere there's struggles. You know, um, when I was there, there were protests against the government to um, increase women's rights in regards to like reproductive rights. And so that was very like prominent. LGBTQ plus rights were prominent. I was there for a pride parade. And that was definitely, that was something really amazing. And so the happiness wasn't just automatically gained from entering the country. I didn't get off the plane and I was like, boom, happy. It was more like coming to understand the people and the way they think through things and the way that they have hope for their country, hope for their future. I was constantly so happy with the way that education was pushed and valued, the way it should be everywhere, that children are the future. And so I lived in an area that had six different types of schools within like a five mile radius, all different types of education, individualized education programs, you know, daycares that were innovative, that were on the rise, you know, very similar to what we were talking about before, you know, I saw so much innovation. There were so many things that I was like, I can't wait to take this back home with me. And the reason why it was just a part of their everyday lives. For example, it was talking about biodiversity, composting, reducing, recycling, having an uh, equal relationship with nature and the earth, not this hierarchy, was so stressed to the point where it was just casual. Like the same way you get up every day, brush your teeth, wash your face, is the same way you reduce, reuse, recycle. And that was amazing to me. And I was like, that adds to their happiness, to their quality of life. So, you know, it's not just a boom, I, geographical, I enter this, you know, country of Costa Rica and I'm happy. It's being open and optimistic and willing to learn from their lifestyles and growing from that, I think is what really adds that happiness. And 
believing in the people around you is a really big thing. I think sometimes in the United States, or at least like where I'm from in Chicago and part of just college life, we move so fast and we're always on the go, on the go. And it's always on the rushing and what can I do next? And boom, 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 gotta do the next step. And even me with a triple major and a double minor, we're doing the most all the time. But when I was there, it was really a way to just disidentify with the things that make culture and life so fast, reevaluating the things that we appreciate and putting them forward. And I think that was just such a beautiful experience. And that's where the happiness comes from, you know? Mm. So yeah, that was really real for me. That's beautiful. Can we park here for a second? Because I feel as though oftentimes there's a very bleak picture that's painted of the global South. But you just described Costa Rica as one of the happiest places in the world and that you actually lived that Mm -hmm. experience when you were there. Where do you think that joy, that resilience, that happiness come from amidst the struggles that you just spoke to? I believe that it comes from the ways in which we view control and the way we view life overall. So uh, I watched an Oprah episode once and she went to Australia and she said, and this has stuck with me for years, like 15 years. I was like five when I watched this, but I'm telling y'all riveting. She was talking to somebody from Australia and she was like, what's the difference between us and you? Like, what's the huge difference? And the lady said, in the United States, you all, was it live to work, but here we work to live. And I was just... Mind blown, mind blown. And then I, when I went to Costa Rica, that was always in the back of my mind. And I saw that embodied in so many different ways. And so I think that was how the happiness was really achieved. And as I mentioned earlier, control. When you live in a place that is so biodiverse, 25% of the world's biodiversity is in Costa Rica alone. So you're not, you're sharing that space with things that operate on a different schedule than you and a different, you know, life than you do. And also too, Everybody has different walks of life. And so there are things you cannot control. And so getting so angry and tense and upset about them the way we typically do in the United States. And, you know, I really saw that as more of a conversation within uh, Costa Rica and growing from these things, learning moments. And I think my experience was especially highlighted in that because my host family had a seven-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. So everything can be a teaching experience for them. And it was, and it was also a teaching experience for me. You know, my host parents would, say something, something so wise to my host siblings, thinking they were teaching them like, oh, I already know this. And I was like, no, I don't. I love how you're articulating that. That means so much to me. And it was just like a simple wisdom to them, almost a conventional wisdom, but it wasn't so conventional to me. And it was just things like, for example, my first week when I walked in there, it was the start of the rainy season. And I walked into my room and there was a cockroach, a dead cockroach being eaten by ants. And I could have freaked out, but it was just a part of the things there. And I was like, stay calm. And in my mind, I was like, what would my host mama do? What would she do? I was like, she would handle it. I was like, so I handled it. And I went and I like got a broom and I like soaked it up. And I was like, oh, and I was like, but it's a part of just coexisting with these animals. It's, you know, the same way that if, you know, we saw a squirrel, I saw a squirrel eating a nutter butter the other day. And I was just like, it is what it is. I'm like, it is the same thing there. It's just a different way. And so I think you know, control. We lived through an earthquake and a lot of people were shook up from it. And I was awake for it. It was late at night. And I just like held the ends of my bed. And I was like, there's nothing I can do about this. Stay calm, stay safe. And I was fine. And so I think just reinventing control or even academically, like I did study abroad. And so, you know, a professor would be late on sending something or their syllabus would be like, I'll see. And I'm like, what do you mean I'll see? Like, I'm like, this is still a grade, baby. I transferred this to the U of I. Like, this is a GPA on the, you know, struggles. But no, it was was really feeling the experiences and growing in them and like that firsthand education style and really experiential education, which I don't think I was so used to. And so my definitions of control 
happiness, growth, innovation. We're all challenged in so many ways, reinvigorated. And I just love that I have multiple definitions of these terms now because of my time in Costa Rica. You were met with a different perspective of the prioritization of values. Yes. Yes. Uh, The values that you probably had, right, and interacted with here in the States versus that of which you interacted with in Costa Rica. Um, You emphasize making the time and space for family and friends, harmony with earth, with with nature, um, relinquishing control and taking life as it is. And and that is, that's a different pace. That's a different rhythm that, that we're used to here. 100%. Mm. Oh, for sure. Man, you make Costa Rica sound so exciting. Like, I, I know, go. right? Let's just get on the plane and go right now. <laughs> I'll take my bags. I'll pick y'all up in five minutes. <laughs> no, I just wanted to touch on that uh, that quote that from the Oprah show that you said, like, in America, we live to work, but they work to live in these, and they said in Australia specifically, but I've seen that, that truth in multiple places that I traveled in Africa, um, mainly in South Africa, Cape Town is more metropolitan, more like it felt like I was in a, a New York in Africa, basically. It was super metropolitan. It was almost westernized. But when I was in an island, like I spent some time on, on an island off the coast of Tanzania, I got a chance to have like multiple conversations with people who just live on the beach and their, their entire life is spent like taking people from island to island. Not their entire life, but a lot of their life is spent on the coast and on the beach and on the, in the waters and taking people, tourists from island to island and, and just talking to them and get, gaining an understanding of how they live and why they live the way they live. And I would think like, I would ask like, do you plan on going to the mainland in Tanzania where things are not robust, but things are more westernized. <laughs> things are more westernized in Tanzania, but they enjoy their life the way it is. And they don't, like you said, there's a, they have different values of work, uh, time. They look at time in a different scale. A lot of times they have in, in Kenya. They told me like, yeah, you know, we create our we create our own time. I, I was taking classes out there, you know, and every day I'm not gonna lie, like the, the classes probably start like 10 minutes, 15 minutes late, but it was still a quality time once the teacher professor got to class. But it's just yeah, like you said, our our definitions of control, our definitions of growth, like the fact that I'm I'm looking at the global south, quote unquote, and I'm I'm looking at it like oh, there's so much room for growth and innovation like there's so much room for them to catch up to us that shows my western mentality already like why can't they be just be you know why do we have to always be growing and trying to excel towards uh a new way of life or a way of life that we are accustomed to you know that's yeah so i, I agree 100 percent with what you said is for sure yeah well why does america why does the united states of america have, have to be the benchmark that other mm-hmm. regions in the world have to measure up to yeah mm-hmm. that's so real you know I was just thinking about this yesterday. So in the United States, we refer ourselves as Americans a lot, right? Like the American way. But North America and South America are a lot more places than just the United States. And that was one of the first things that I was corrected upon when I went to Costa Rica. And I was so embarrassed because we were like, oh, in America, we this in America. They're like, in the United States y'all this, y'all that, because America is a lot more places. And I was like, oh, that just shows how like, United States centric I am because there isn't one America exactly like well even like the term for the United States like is Los Estados Unidos like the United States we don't add the of America all the time because Mm -hmm. there's so many you know what I mean and I was like wow and we would tell them to like oh you know in America we this America that and they'd be like we know because we do that here too and I was like oh my god like I sound like we're some 
being that y'all need to reach like where you're bet like you said Nikki like our benchmark goal and so right away I really was rewired in my vocabulary like, saying you know why I say America 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 like we're the number one we're the only America or something like being first you're last like no 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 it's not it's not like that <laughs> It does serious. Yeah. So much diversity out here and ways of government, ways of living. Um in America. United States. See, look at me. The United States needs to make more room for that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I also I love what you said about um the time thing. You know, like if a professor showed up late or something. Because I got into that right away. I was like, I'll get them when I get there. <laughs> I was like, this is not gonna happen when I get back to the United mm-hmm. States. I'm late for work or something. But um also, too, we, we would always have, like, cafe breaks where we would stop and eat coffee and fresh Yeah, coffee. same. Amazing. And there was no time same. on it. He wasn't like, you know, leave at 10, 15, get back at 10, 20 on the dot, or I'm failing you all. It was like, he would go eat with us, drink with us, and then he'd be like, eh, okay, let's get up. And, you know, it was just like little duckies in a row following, like, our, you know, leader. And we were just so casual. And I'm like, it was just such a acceptance of time, but not feeling like time controls our lives. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a constraint and so that was really amazing rob and Izzy, it sounds like you both were so open to new experiences in the places where you studied abroad and i would love to hear how your hybrid identities right being african-american being latina in the united states of america how that played out how did that inform your experiences in the regions of africa um, that you visited, Rob, and in Costa Rica, EC. Can you speak to that? Going to being an African-American and going to Africa, East Africa specifically is where I mainly be. Africa is huge. I want people to know that it's not all the same. Um, being in East Africa, having that American identity, like I said earlier, my main goal was to reconnect to my roots. Like One of my main goals outside of academic uh, priorities was reconnecting to my roots and learning, learning about the culture there. And with that, I'll have some type of I had a level of expectancy that when I got there that the people would honor that and they would recognize that, oh, he's he's a American, but he's also African. He's from here. Like, let me try to teach him the ropes, like let him know about the culture. But a lot of times, just to be honest, they kind of only notice my American side of my identity. I know Nikki, I was telling you about this a little bit. They only recognize my American side. And that was kind of frustrating for me. And what that looked like is, you know, they hear me speaking English. They hear I have a a westernized tone, uh, when I said like accent, and they treat me as though I'm like only an American, but, and they treat me as though like, I'm like this wealthy rich guy who's just here uh, to do research, but not really trying to connect to the ground and, and really get to know the locals, which wasn't the case at all, obviously, but that was kind of frustrating for me. And what that took for me to get out of that, or for me to express my African side, I had to be open and honest with them and let them know like, no, oh, you, you kind of misunderstanding it. Like, I'm an African-American. I don't have the same experience as the general like white America. There's a difference. There's a difference between a white American experience and an African-American experience in the, in the United States. There's a huge difference. Uh, and for a lot of them, like that was a shock. Um, a lot of them, they could, it was kind of hard for them to come to gra- grips with it because on the media, it goes, goes back to the media again, like we're being, we're, we're being shown like one side of Africa and they're being shown like one side of the United States. So that was, that was kind of how, uh, a little bit about how my African-American experience was, that how my identity informed my experience in, in, in Africa. A lot of people just coming up to me, asking me, uh, trying to just buy stuff off me. I mean, trying to, you know, get me to buy stuff off them. And I think with more study abroad experiences, more African-Americans go over there, they will learn, they will, they will see that we kind of have similar experiences, you know? And I think a huge, a huge part of it is also that they don't see race the same in Africa. 
they don't see race the, the same. They don't look at race as the same. They don't think that they don't they don't see it the same, even though they have to deal with colonialism. They don't they didn't have to deal with they dealt with slavery, but for whatever reason, they don't see they don't view race the same as like equating that a, a white a white experience is highly different from a, a African experience. So Wow, yeah. and the last time we spoke, Rob, you mentioned a term that made me pause, oppression Olympics. Yeah. And you said that sometimes you would get in these conversations where you felt as though you had to prove that hardship was not only specific to Tanzania or Nairobi or mm -hmm. South Africa, that you've experienced hardship in the South side of Chicago. And so maybe your lived experience isn't the same as theirs, but you can relate, you can empathize to yeah. some of their lived realities. You want to share a little bit more about that? Exactly. I mean, yeah, you were sitting it right on the head. Like, there's a lot of going to these these countries. There's a lot. Of, I realize there's a lot of parallels between how the countries are set up and how just society is set up to where on one side of the city or one side of the the country you may see just extreme poverty, um, extreme poverty to where there's no electricity, shanty towns or like shacks and everything. But not too far away, there's a downtown area where there is a sign of wealth and people are thriving. And in Chicago, I mean, being, that's why I emphasize that I'm from the south side of Chicago, because the south side isn't downtown. It isn't Wicker Park. It isn't, you know, it's not. But, but in Chicago, there lies those same parallels of wealth and poverty, which is so close to each other. And I realized that once I, I realized how similar our experience, African-American experiences are to certain African nations that I've been to. And it's my goal to get that experience out to and get that, share that side of the story to Africa, certain parts. It's a huge continent. That's a huge goal. But think, like I said, more people study abroad, more African-Americans study abroad, we'll be able to accomplish that for sure. It's a great ambition, great ambition, and a necessary one. There's so much diversity within groups and in places. There's so many things, thoughts going through my head right now, because I'm Puerto Rican and not Costa Rican. I knew there were certain things about being Latino, Latina overall that I knew and could kind of help all the girls from Illinois, that my cohort, and then also the other people from the United States that were in our program. And also for the Costa Ricans, they'd be like, why do you guys blah, blah, blah. And so I'd kind of be like, okay, in the United States, we do this. And then, you know, like Costa Ricans would do something and I would turn to the, you know, U of I students, they'd be like, okay, like Latinos do this because blah, blah, blah. Like for example, um, there was a two, three-year-old boy and his name was Papi, and that means daddy. And usually, sometimes in the United States, like terms like that kind of get like sexualized or whatever reason. A lot of that has to do with like media representation and how Spanish is a sexualized language. But that's just a term of endearment for people, you know. Like somebody was like, "Hey, mommy," like I was like, "Like nothing." Like I'm not somebody's mother, and you know, it's not like sexualized. It's just a whatever. And he was a two year old baby, and he'd be like, "Hi, Papi, come here." Like blah blah blah. And so I had to really explain that to people a lot, or. For example, in the United States, it's not part of our culture to call people nicknames based on their appearance in a nice way. Like, if you're like, hey, you know, like ugly to somebody, it means they're ugly. Like, you're being mean, like, you know, in the United States. Or like something based on their color or their weight or whatever. But in Costa Rica, term of endearments would come from based on those things. So, for example, when I was there, I got really tan, you know, and I'm naturally brown, and so I just got darker. And we had a teacher, and his name was Negrito, and then they would call me Negrita. And so people were my like, you know, not United States cohort, they'd be like, "This is offensive." What are they saying? Like, ready to box on my behalf? And I'm like, "It's okay, it's okay. Let me explain it to you." It was like, "It's all good," you know. I'm like, I got a friend, her little brother named Gordo, that means chubby. I was like, I call my sister Hincha, that means pale face, but we love each other. It's out of love. Like having to explain that was really, really funny. So there was the expected things like that. 
and then there was kind of the unexpected things where I guess I was trying to like prove my Latinidad and trying to connect myself so hard to being a Costa Rican when I wasn't like I you know and I was before I went abroad um, in LAS 291, you know, pre-departure, it was like, what are some things you're going to need to work on? And I was like, I think I'm going to need to make sure like, I'm not trying to prove myself like an actual Costa Rican, like, oh, I'm cool with you guys. Like I'm on the in crowd, like, you know, trying to do that. And one time I was really humbled in that was, so in the United States, we have a term like that Latin American communities use called like gringa. And it means like, white girl and something and you don't mean it to be offensive you don't use it towards like actual you know um, white people you just use it to e each other when you know you're like not getting something culturally correct like if I'm doing a specific dance move and I mess up they're like ah oh, look at this green guy like she can't dance or if I cook something that's wrong you know it's like a it's jokingly but sometimes it can be a little like you're not connected to your culture enough but in Costa Rica that just meant somebody from the United States so when I was with like the other people from the United States they're like oh look at these gringas and I was like no no I'm not I'm like you guys I promise like you know trying so hard to like you know be like look I'm not being I promise like look at my name blah blah like whatever just trying to prove my like not being that so hard and, I was, and they were like it's not that deep it's not that deep like it's just what we call people from the United States like you are United States citizen at the end of the day like don't worry about it sweetheart but I was so pressed about it because I was like this is such an offensive thing blah blah and I was like you know I guess I was trying so hard to negotiate in my identity in ways that I thought I was being more like I could just jump from being in the United States in a new country, a new place and just jump right in because I knew so much about it. I was connected to it in so many different ways, but I'm not Costa Rican and I was never going to be like, and I have, you know, born and raised in the United States. I wasn't, you know, I guess I was just trying so hard to associate with them in a way that I wasn't going to be able to actually associate because I'm not born and raised from there. And they also didn't, nobody pushed that on me except for myself. And I think that's what's hard about identity too, is sometimes when you're negotiating identity and when you're, you know, like a hyphen American or whatever, it, you're trying to like, when you get up in the morning, I'm like, oh, am I more like this? Am I more like that? Like what, what is going on? And then especially too, like, I would say 18 through 30 something, but you know, whatever, at least in college, 18 through 22, whatever, you're growing so much in your identity and your salient identities. And so when you go abroad and specific identities are challenged or, you know, reconsidered, or you kind of uh, re-evaluating them and reflecting on them, it could be a really, for me, it was like a really exciting, but also like really thought invoking process. So yeah. Mm. I could definitely relate to everything you just said um, through my experiences after exact, I'm not gonna say the exact same, but it was super similar. It was similar from the points of like how they use certain terms of that we may take offense to, offense to in America. And we mean like harsh intent, but they use them, use them as like terms of endearment. Like if it, if it is a girl who's like overweight or a guy who's overweight, they'll make, make fun of them, you know, but it's not taken to heart. And then also I could relate to how you said you kind of had this chip on your shoulder at first and you like, like knowing that you was had like a Latin American identity compared to your other peers, but you had to get humbled. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of, same thing happened to me too when I was in Kenya. Cause when I went to Kenya, that was the first time I went to Africa with all white peers. And I was the only African-American, but it was my fourth time going. So I was already speaking Swahili a little bit. And I was already like familiar with the East African area and some of the different nuances. So I kind of was walking around with a chip on my shoulder, like oh, I'm not better than you all, but like, a part of this community a little bit more I'm close-knit but I was instantly humbled like the first week during orientation where the professors had told us like you all have to be careful because of x y and z but even you Robert like you you you're not you will never be Kenyan like you will never be he told me this like you will never be African because he wanted me to realize like the moment I started speaking the moment I started practicing my like just being myself around these people they're going to realize that you're from America Robert that American identity is always going to be attached to you you know 
And another way I was humbled, uh, this was a lot earlier. This was in the spring of 2019 when I was in Cape Town, South Africa. I was just having a conversation with some women from a micro enterprise. And these women, one woman was from Tanzania and another woman was from like uh, Congo, but they both were speaking Swahili. They both were speaking Swahili. And I was speaking Swahili with them a little bit. And then then in Swahili, they asked me, they was like, uh, so what other language do you speak? I was like, uh, well, I obviously speak English. And they was like, no, like, what is your native tongue? Like, what is your native tongue? And I was like, I'm from Chicago. Like, my native tongue is English, you know? And for them, it is, it is tribes, and each tribe has their own language. Like in Kenya, for example, there's, there's over 40 different tribes, and each tribe speaks their own language, which shows you, like, in Tanzania, it's over 100 different ones. Each tribe speaks their own language. So that just shows you the, the level of diversity. Outside of Swahili, they all speak in at least three different languages. And for me, when, they, when the question was turned on me, like, all right, so what's your native tongue? It was like, I only speak English. Really? And I'm learning Swahili. So definitely got humble. Um, and I can relate to it. Yeah, I just want to say I can relate to what you were saying. I'm sure. I feel that. I, I feel especially, like, the, you remember those humbling moments so hard? Because especially, too, the moments that are like that one, like a reverse humbling, we're like, okay, okay, okay. Like, I had one the first week. Uh, everybody was sick because their stomachs were adjusting to the food just like you know a new diet completely immersed in a new food and you know like rice and beans and other things and they and I was just like I'm fine and they were like oh wow how are you like so good and I was like you know I eat food like this all the time like whatever or you know like um when my cohort was a very diverse group from the United States and so when we would go out in the streets obviously we were like a spectacle because we were such a diverse group of people but when I walked with myself nobody said anything and I was like look at me I blend in Like, I'm so, you know, whatever. But then, too, very similar to the native tongue thing that you mentioned, my Spanish. So, in the United, in Chicago, where I'm from, the Northwest side, it's a very Mexican neighborhood. So, I had, like, I spoke Spanish in a very, like, Mexican dialect. But then my parents Mm -hmm. are Puerto Rican, so there was kind of, like, a hybrid of that. Then I went to Costa Rica and threw, like, Costa Rican, like, Spanish on top of that. Then my Spanish was just, like, la, la, la. And I was, like, I am the United Nations right here when I speak. Like, I was, like, you know, just, you know, messing with each other. But it was so funny. They knew, like, I wasn't Costa Rican, but obviously I was Latina. But then my language didn't really match that. So they were trying to figure it out. And I was, like, I'm still trying to navigate it, too. But I'm from Chicago. I can tell you that. And so Mm -hmm. it was, it was really funny. But I feel you. Identity is so complex because there's a duality involved and I probably shouldn't even call it a duality because then it sounds binary. It's just, it's complex and complicated because there's perceived identity and received identity. And the both of you, you had these hybrid identities and you went to uh, different regions in Africa and Costa Rica with the intention of perhaps integrating these identities so that they could be a bit more holistic but you don't get to decide how the locals receive you or perceive you, right? And so I just, I think that's really fascinating that you may have this perceived identity and want to be received in a certain way by a particular group, but you don't get to control that. Exactly, exactly. And I think you learn more too about the place you're at. For example, though Costa Rica is one country, there's so many different regions. So sometimes when I was in, you know, because colorism is global. And so I would go to certain neighborhoods, like in the richer parts of Costa Rica. And I know I didn't look like anybody, like I did not blend in. But then when I went to the Caribbean side, you know, people were acting, I felt really like connected to them. And I was like, you know, this just shows like, how different regions you get different responses and different things and so it was always like navigating that if I was one one neighborhood I was like this one neighborhood another it was like a a representative code switching because I wouldn't say a word but the you know responses were different because I was still negotiating you know being a Latina. Different identities became salient depending on where you were 
who you were interacting with and what the context was. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I think too, like gender has a lot to do with it. You know, like on my womanhood, being a woman in certain neighborhoods, certain spaces, you know, like when I went certain places, it was something like sometimes like if we went out to the nightclub, like there'd be a different response or, you know, like cat calling, it's huge everywhere. You know, I'm not yeah. the only in Costa Rica, it is everywhere. And so that was something that I was like reminded of in certain spaces. It was like, and then even then the cat calls would be based on my like perceived racial identity. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they would say certain things and I'm like, oh, you're saying this because I'm a woman, but the words you specifically choose are because I'm like a Latina. You know what I mean? So even that was interesting because I would get cat called with all of the girls from U of I and they were all different, you know, phenotypes. And so you're talking about like, oh, they said this to you and that means blah, blah, blah. Or oh, they said this to me and that means blah, blah, blah. So definitely it was always something that was in the back of our minds or the forefront, depending on the situation. And Rob, I remember you shared something similar in our previous conversation because you said, yes, your American identity was most salient when you were traveling throughout Africa. But when it came to, came to different cultural topics about music or sports, your, your Black identity did take center stage in the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even the fact that I'm from Chicago, a lot of people instantly uh, say, oh, so you know Michael Jordan? And, you know, they didn't know like the, yeah, so they, they instantly identify with Michael Jordan. Um, they instantly identify with me just sports, thinking that I play basketball or football. And music and hip hop is just such a huge culture. Like, it has such a huge impact on the world. I saw that firsthand how yeah, they just they would they would ask me, do I make music? Do I play sports? And I'm like, no, I'm a student here. I'm an academic. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to connect. You know, I'm trying to do something different. But those always take yes, yeah, as you mentioned, those always take center stage. You know, in those areas, because that's again it goes back to the media. You know, so what the media shows them. So that's all they kind of uh, identify with when they see an African American. That's all they know, really. So yeah. So rich. I know we are. We are far past time, but that's how good the conversation has been. But I cannot end this discussion without asking how you see your study abroad experiences fitting into the broader picture you have for your academic and professional goals. I think there you know, could be the misconception that you go, you study abroad, you have this amazing experience it's fun you learn something you expose yourself to a different culture and then you come back and you know you just do life as you did it before but most times and I mean I would even go on a limb and say every single time if you allow it when you do study abroad and immerse yourself in a different culture you're transformed and that transformation transcends to other aspects of your life and your vision for your future so how would you contextualize that now that you've had these experiences? How do you see it fitting into who you are and what you want to accomplish academically and professionally? Yeah, I think that's a such an important question because, you know, you think about you were engaging and inquiring and creating and growing so much. You know, what's the difference between a study abroad and a vacation if you don't take it back and really connect mm -hmm. with it? And also, too, study abroad ain't cheap. So I'm like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to get what I can out of this. Let me tell you. So I know definitely, personally, it was amazing. I think, as we had mentioned previously, like going in my understanding of like the Latina, you know, term, the umbrella term, seeing the ways that we connect and disconnect and grow and learn and change and the relationships. That was definitely really amazing. And that has kind of 
inspired my academic and professional goals because I'm currently writing two senior thesis for my English and Latino studies majors. And one of them in Latino studies, it's kind of about negotiating identity in the subcultures of Latinidad. And so, I mean, I was really inspired and really kind of got the cogs in my head moving when I was in Costa Rica thinking about that. And I actually took, it's about music. And I took a Latin American music class. And even just hearing how my professor would talk about, you know, Latin American music versus how I talked about it. You know, it was the same artist, same song, but we had such different associations based on culture, based on identity. And so I thought that was really amazing. And I've been running with that ever since. So definitely academically and then professionally, I want to get my PhD and stay in the humanities education realm and also make higher education more accessible. And so being in a foreign country and then being with two young students, like seven years old and 12 years old, so still like in an elementary, middle school, seeing how they approach education, seeing how their education was approach to them, you know, like the expectations and challenges and, you know, seeing and my host mom was actually a teacher too, a special education teacher. So we talked a lot about, you know, her students and the way that she views education and how it shouldn't be a privilege, it should be just a fundamental basic human right, something I believe. So seeing that kind of globalized was really, really special. And I think about that a lot when I'm working with my students, especially my students of color and seeing how their experiences are really shaped based on their identities. Seeing that in Costa Rica too was so important. For sure. And how do you plan to apply that to your professional endeavors? So within kind of making my goal, higher education accessibility is in my time in Costa Rica, especially when we talked about earlier with control and reevaluating and reimagining things. I think that the education system needs a lot of reimagining, you know, reframing. And so taking the time out to kind of just look at the basics and reevaluating that, a lot of that personal growth I had in Costa Rica, I want to apply to my work here in the United States. And then also to looking at how from such a young age, they were inspired and given tools that I think sometimes students in the United States aren't given. And the way that they were, you know, like my host brother, he was 12, he was trilingual already. And it was a casual thing. And I was like, he speaks English, Spanish, and French all fluently. I was like, that's not, that's not a casual thing. And they're like, well, we knew that he could do it. And, you know, just even the simple of believing in young students and seeing how they can grow and how it's transformative and how they're the future, kind of seeing that in a Costa Rican mindset, I want to apply that 100% to inspiring like my mentees and my students within the future. How about you, Rob? How do you see your experiences abroad influencing your vision for your life? For sure, for sure. So, as I was already coming into college, I already knew that I wanted to I wanted to travel abroad, doing like something along the lines of international business. Um, but since I wasn't able to get into the business school, global studies filled in the gap perfectly. I, and I was also inspired, you know, just by going to these areas. I, I gained more inspiration of knowing that that's what I wanted to do. I want to do work in these areas, uh, in international development in South Africa, in Kenya, in Tanzania. And getting a chance to go to these places in person allowed me to see the differences in the levels of international development that each country is kind of going through and seeing where I could fit in and, and seeing where I could provide potential solutions based off the work that I've been doing in Chicago and the prior knowledge that I already have. So academically, like I said, with global studies, I said it earlier that it was uh, mandatory that we spend at least one semester abroad. And luckily I was able to do that this past spring, Kenya. Um, so that's helping me with my, you know, to earn my degree first and foremost, but professionally, like I said, being able to work as a micro enterprise consultant in South Africa and seeing how formal their business, their business environment is, but also seeing the gaps that, you know, areas where they can, where they can improve and being able to work on the ground with them. Super educational. I learned a lot. 
also I learned even more when I was able to do the same thing in Arusha, Tanzania, which was a more rural setting, more rural environment. While I was working with the Maasai people, it's like a very traditional tribe and one of the most ancient traditional tribes in Africa that still exists. So these experiences not only gave me something to not just put on my resume, but it gave me like a skill set and a, like a micro small business consultant skill set that I could bring now that I'm bringing now back to Chicago. I could leverage this for doing consulting work with small businesses in my own neighborhood based off what I did in Africa, which is, you would think it'd be vice versa, but no, it's, it's amazing. So these are the abroad experiences have definitely put me, I won't, I won't say ahead of the competition, like I'm competing with other people, but it definitely gives me leverage when I'm interviewing for different jobs or if I'm trying to work with like the global leaders uh, program at LAS with you. It gives me something to talk about. It gives me a skill set that a lot of other students don't have, which I'm, I'm very blessed to, very blessed to say because Traveling abroad four times before I even graduated is uh, it's pretty amazing. So. so inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. We're not done yet. We're about to enter one of my favorite segments in the podcast, which is called the lightning round. I'm going to begin a statement and uh, ask you to complete it. How about Izzy, you lead and then Rob, you can immediately follow. Are you ready? Yes. My favorite dish to eat in my study abroad location was? Gallo Pinto. East African chapati. If I can do an experience all over again, it would be? I went to an island called Tortuguero Island and got to explore some of the most beautiful landscapes and animals I've ever seen in my life. This past study abroad, this full semester in Kenya, I wish I was able to get in a full, an actual full semester instead of it being cut off by COVID. Students should study abroad because? It helps them globally engage in ways that can completely transform their understanding of who they are, their college education, and life itself. It gives them a chance to understand themselves a little bit more, but also understand their places in the world and understand other people's perspectives. As a result of my international and intercultural experiences, I now see the world as? A true globe, like one that's very circular and connected mm -hmm. in different ways, honestly, like an actual sphere. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a grid that's inter interconnected. There's so many things that we do here that influences and impacts what people do in other areas and vice versa. A phrase in the local language that makes me smile is? Pura vida, which means pure life. Karibu sana, which means you are very welcome. You will hear that walking into people's homes and just walking past restaurants. They always say karibu. To me, cultural exchange means? Defying what you understand about yourself and the world around you and kind of daring to do more. Having a conversation uh, with the local and you all are both, you hear their perspective and they're telling you about how they feel like they control their time and you explain to how you feel like you're coming from a culture that, you know, what time is kind of controlling you all. But yeah, just having those cultural uh, exchanges uh, and exchanging ideas, traditions, and also just stories. So. Wonderful, wonderful. I truly enjoy having these conversations. And the only way, every time, the only way I can define how I feel afterwards is full. So satisfying. It's not the kind of full, you know, that you feel after a big Thanksgiving meal, <laughs> but full and just, just so, uh, so enriched. Who knew that experiences could make or sharing stories can make you feel that way, almost complete. Yeah, so, so storytelling, I agree. Yeah, yeah, so thank you so much. I really, really 
appreciate hearing your study abroad experiences, how it's shaped and transformed you and how you're going to move with it into your different um, academic and professional fields. And you both are powerhouses. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be tracking you. Following up with what you're doing and who you're impacting because the both of you are pioneers and your, your story is, is just beginning. So thank you so much for sharing um, just a glimpse of that with us today. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank so you, much. Nikita. I really this was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you for joining our podcast today. Remember to subscribe and tune in each month as we elevate diverse voices and experiences across our global campus.